Sometimes the calendar and the lectionary line up just right. That was the case for me today, when all of our readings are about marriage and love. And just yesterday, I celebrated my wedding anniversary. Eleven years ago, Emily and I walked up this very aisle to that altar and made a covenant before God. It was a joyous occasion, but not without its mishaps. Like most weddings, our celebration was wonderful and imperfect. And though it didn't total up to a full-on romantic comedy, there were plenty of elements that could have been included in one. You know the kinds of stories that I'm talking about. They're portrayed in movies like Bridesmaids, Father of the Bride, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. All of them follow a similar plotline. Before the couple can make their way to the altar, they have to overcome a wide variety of obstacles. Whether it's a wild wedding planner or a very unfortunate case of food poisoning while dress shopping. Whatever it is, the couple makes their way finally to that magic moment where they can finally say, I do. Now, we don't typically think of it in this way, but the Bible itself, and as a whole, is a love story. We could even call it a romantic comedy. Not in the kind of sense where everything is funny, though there is that, but in the larger sense of comedy, where everything in the end works towards a final happiness. Picking up on this theme, Israel's prophets from Isaiah to Ezekiel, Hosea to Zephaniah, began to talk about God's relationship with Israel as one between a bride and groom. They talked about the final culmination of history being when God finally was able to be married to Israel, and through that they would create a household together that would be a blessing to the entire creation. From that household, all would come to be included in God's love, and everything would be reconciled. But before that marriage could happen, there had to be a wedding, and there were many obstacles along the way. The obstacles for Israel's marriage to God were many and varied. They ranged from the far too many times when Israel began to wonder about past lovers or become curious about new ones. Then there was that time when a foreign empire came and kidnapped them, taking them into captivity. Or the many moments when occupiers came and prevented a marriage 
in the midst of a war-torn land. Whatever the moments were, God was long-suffering and patient, continually working to make the marriage happen, to bring it all back together. But even in the quiet moments when Israel was at home, there were times when they became overly obsessed with rites of cleanliness and purity, forgetting that all of the ceremony was meant to be a means towards embrace rather than exclusion. So God had to do what every good marriage comedy has, call in friends and family, all those who could help overcome the obstacles. This started with the prophets who helped dry off wet feet and renewed Israel's love for God through messages like the one we heard from Isaiah today. Israel was experiencing a time of heartache and loss. They were feeling as though maybe this wedding to God just wasn't going to happen, that maybe God didn't love them as much as they thought. But Isaiah, like a good groomsman, comes to remind them that God loves them and wants to be in continuous, faithful relationship. This role is taken up by Jesus as well, who plays both groom and best man, a kind of divine Cupid reminding the world of God's love. I know that the metaphors can become mixed and confusing. They're that way in Scripture as well. And they do play into very typical gender stereotypes. But through it all, the central message is that God loves the whole cosmos, every living thing, all that God created. That God wants to bring all things back into God's love. And that's where the wedding at Cana comes in. It's a really important story, and there's so much to unpack in it. But one of the key elements is that at this wedding, we experience the first of Jesus's signs. The Gospel of John doesn't have miracles. It has signs. And there are seven of them in the whole Gospel. Whenever that number seven shows up in the scriptures, we need to pay attention. Because seven is God's number. It's the number of divine action. And this wedding at Cana where Jesus turns the water to wine is the first of those signs. It's the inauguration of something. Through Mary's compassion and pleading and Jesus' initial reluctance, he comes around to see that this is the moment in which the great wedding feast that has been long anticipated must begin. That God has come here to be with God's people in love, and that now is the time 
to start the party. So Jesus helps a poor couple extend their celebration that is meant to be a sacrament and sign of God's love. And then Jesus takes the vases that were used for the rites of purification and fills that water of purity with the wine of celebration. It must have been quite a celebration, because by my calculations, it was at least 120 gallons. That's the kind of party that God throws in the end. God is on the move, working to bring God's love into every corner of the earth. And Jesus is pouring the wine of that love into the world, even if it means giving his own blood to fill that cup. And God calls us to join in that work of bringing God's love to bear through our own gifts and talents. That's the message that we heard in 1 Corinthians, that God has given us each gifts to help bring about God's celebration and marriage. And it's like that scene in so many of these romantic comedies and movies where everyone brings a little offering when all seems lost, and yet the table becomes filled and everyone has more than enough to eat and plenty to drink. Each of us is called to bring our small offering and gift to make the celebration happen. And one of those gifts is the sacrament of marriage. It's not a calling for all, but it is to be for all of us a sign and symbol of God's great love in God's faithfulness, in God's celebration that is working to that God is working to bring to bear in all the world. Emily and I certainly felt that on our wedding day, where, as I said, though everything was not perfect, we did feel the love of all those who brought us into being. And there was much comedy along the way, there were, was the time when we got to the steps of the chancel and looked over where our crucifer was sitting in the back pew and suddenly vomited all of his lunch. <laughs> there was the moment where a somewhat distant coworker somehow found her way into all of our wedding pictures. And then when we were being ushered away from the front steps of the church, a friend yelled very loudly for all to hear something just too inappropriate to repeat. <laughs> but after the, the wedding ceremony, we had a celebration in Bowen Hall where as we walked up, we were met by the aromas of soups cooked by friends breads on every table that friends had baked in their own ovens. On the table, there was a tiered cake frosted in buttercream that was the gift of an old housemate. And 
A family friend was our photographer, someone who had seen Emily grow up. It was a community effort, and in it, we felt our community's love. And we did get a sense in that coming together that this was about so much more than just us, that it was a sign and symbol of the great community that comes to bring God's love into the world. And we were thankful for that love, knowing that God is the great author of romantic comedies, and that there is no plot line that God cannot turn towards joy in the end. Amen.